welcome back to the Life in Digital podcast. This year, we're really excited as Sphere Digital's CEO and founder, Ed Steer, will be hosting a series of interviews with leaders in the digital sector. Join us each month for an in-depth look into new technology and insights into how businesses and teams are growing in 2021. Subscribe to the Life in Digital podcast to be the first to listen to each new episode and for our bonus series throughout the year. This is Ed's first podcast and we're kicking off with the brilliant Owen Hancock at Impact about the work they're doing with brands to deliver true value from their partnership opportunities. Okay, so welcome to the Life in Digital uh, podcast, first one of 2021. It's great to be in a new year and it's especially great to be joined by Owen Hancock from, um, from Impact. Owen, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Um, but yeah, thanks Thanks so much for joining us. And um, yeah, really, really excited to kick off the 2021 um, podcast um, series. And actually on what I think is going to be such a positive discussion around um, the performance advertising sector, the influencer advertising sector, um, affiliate marketing, and particularly automation and brand-to-brand partnerships um, and the role that they've played um, for marketers over the last 12 months. And just, yeah, h- hearing how the last 12 months have been and, and, and what's been going well, and also learning about what you think is going to happen um, this year and next. And um, if it's okay, I'll briefly introduce you to our audience. So um, Owen is um, a digital marketing strategist with a real passion for innovation, um, with over a decade's worth of experience in the performance marketing sector, and particularly within um, brand-to-brand um, partnerships. Um, and for the last few years, years has been working with Impact. And if you could share us a little bit about um, Impact and um, and what you do uh, with the company, it'd be great great to hear. Yeah, so Impact is at its core uh, a partnership automation platform. And so we really believe in partnerships within marketing and the, that sits as a, a wave of growth, which is as yet untapped in its completeness. You know, partnerships have been around for you know centuries or millennia, maybe less so in a marketing sense. But what we think we can bring to that is a level of automation and accountability, and consequently a level of uh, success off the back of it, which isn't seen anywhere else at the moment. And it's that um, ability to do stuff at scale through that automation, which really leads to a, a new wave of growth. Okay, that's really interesting. And if you looked at performance marketing and partnership marketing, um, I know this is a big question, but over kind of the past um, 10 years, what have you seen the, is the real meaningful um, role they play in driving sales and engagement with, um, with customers? Yeah, so it's a, an interesting one. I guess um, over the last 10 years, there's been a, a deeper and deeper drive to create Uh, value for all different aspects and areas of our our client bases and what we see uh, partnerships as being great at is creating an environment in which you can share information with a potential customer when it's it's suitable for them it's not really advertising it's not forcing it down their throat and maybe as we come to different examples uh, later on in our discussion we'll see some of those and what we mean by that but it's um we've seen so many people start to become jaded by advertising and not just TV advertising or billboard or whatever, even banner ads um, through digital, even like 
pretty well targeted stuff there. There's still a, a level of dismissiveness with a, a new generation. So we see that as a trend. Do you trend. think people being mindful of their data and um, and walled gardens has played a, an impact in, in that? Or do you think it's just about the actual effectiveness? Yeah, so there's been a, a really intriguing shift off the back of that. I personally believe certainly people are a lot more mindful of their data, not just um, because there's more legislation around it, but just because a, a more digital savvy environment means that people are cognizant of what they're sharing and they're sharing so much more than they did uh, 10 years or 20 years ago. I think it's probably because I sit on the inside of the digital marketing world, but I don't view that necessarily as a negative. I don't see you know, massive conspiracies or anything like that. I just see people wanting to sell more holidays or, you know, make the advertising more relevant to you when it happens. But, um, but there will be a crunch point in my belief at some point in the uh, not so distant future of people still expecting a free internet. Like the generation that's consuming yeah. at the moment, they, they've grown up without expecting to pay for a search engine or for their news content. And once that goes behind a paywall, then you'll see a crunch point of people saying, well, actually, maybe it wasn't so bad having to, you know, watch a couple of adverts to get that. Content. It's a good deal. <laughs> it is. I just think people want to feel like they're more in control of it. And they say, hey, yes. I, I know what I'm giving you. I know what I'm not giving you. And this, I'm happy to consume this advert in advance to be able to consume this content for free. But I'm a big believer in a, uh, in a diverse internet. And I think that's part of what partnerships do. They, they create more and more relationships rather than everyone being stuck having to work with Facebook and Google. You provide value, right? But you don't want so much of your uh, interaction with the entire world being based on one or two companies, especially when you look at how they, they monetize what they do. So the more partnerships they are and the more diverse they get, I think the better for the world at large. Great question. I think the center of a brilliant partnership is uh, a partnership between two companies where it adds additional value for the consumer. So we often talk about an example, um, an impact between two of our clients, uh, Ticketmaster and Spotify. And mm -hmm. uh, what they do together is if you've ever been on the, the Spotify app and you're looking at an artist, you can scroll down and you can see uh, when that artist is playing near you and their scheduled dates. And that, like I was uh, alluding to earlier. Yeah, I love that feature. I'm familiar with that. Exactly. And, but it doesn't feel like you're being advertised to. It doesn't feel like that's being forced down your throat and someone's making you go to Ticketmaster to buy a load of gig tickets. You know, you're feeling like you're getting information that's relevant to you at a time where it's pertinent. And that's what that partnership and adds something extra to the consumer. But uh, what we allow... Uh, to happen is for that to be properly tracked, to be monetized, for people to understand exactly what type of gigs people are going to, to be able to scale that out uh, geographically as well, not just do it in the US or the UK, but to roll it out easily and replicably around all of our, our different markets in the world. I'm intrigued by the automation and the scale. So how, what, what sort of things are you tracking in a campaign like that um, for, both, for both customers? Yeah, so... I wouldn't want to talk to too many of the specifics, perhaps. Yeah, of course, yeah, naturally. Yeah, in general, what we track is, um, you know, the the individual transactions that come through, the number of people 
that that view that piece that go to that the different geographies that they go to but also um item level stuff is, is what we call it right but so the types of gigs that are more effective the radius perhaps between where a person is and the gigs mm -hmm. that they're booked for so you can work out the relevancy like there's a lot of uh of nuance that you can get into into creating more more value there but mm -hmm. also into um you know, making the the case for the relationship, you know, if um, Spotify can demonstrate that they're driving loads of new customers in Spain, for example, then it gives them good ammo to say, well, hey, Ticketmaster, maybe it's worth funding this, uh, this work a little bit more. And if you're looking at how the sorts of brand partnership deals um, that you'd be involved in now have differed, even over the last um, three years, what, what, what's changed and what's the sort of direction of, of travel? Uh, an interesting one to say. I guess appetite is there um, in a more growing way to have great brand fit and to be able to promote in that sort of way. But what we've seen starting to adapt, even more so over the last two years, is um, companies being more flexible about where they generate that revenue. So what mm -hmm. I've seen five years ago is lo loads of people saying, well, yeah, I want you to point to me and help me make more sales, but I don't want to give up any space on my site or in my emails or in my app. Or so we'll be an advertiser, but we won't be a, a, a publisher, so to speak. Exactly. And that's partially because of the siloed natures of those businesses, right? Like typically yeah. you have your whatever performance marketing channel and they're, they're only targeted on getting revenue in one sort of way. They're not targeted in any way on selling advertising space, as you might expect. And so no one's expecting that. But over the last two or three years, I guess I'd say a companies have broken down some of those walls. But also what you've seen is a faster rise with smaller companies and the ability to work more quickly. And, you know, impact is a, a tech first platform and a tech first business. And so we attract perhaps slightly more of those in terms of, you know, smaller, um, but more dynamic brands like um, Revolut and uh, Starling Bank, for example, in the finance space, that have been really creative in the way that mm -hmm. they leverage partnerships. Like uh, Revolut, for example, have got some, you know, typical partnerships with uh, comparison sites or, or whatever else. But they also used Impact to send out an email to thousands of their own customers to say, okay, hey, we understand that you know the Revolut product better than most people do because you're using it on a regular basis. Why don't you try and promote that to your friends? And here's the, you know, how we're going to track you and compensate you if you do want to resell that on. And in a, you know, in a perhaps a, a legacy, more traditional uh, banking infrastructure, I think you'd really struggle to, to make that happen that quickly. Whereas in a smaller, more dynamic brand, you're able to really pivot. And that's why the growth is so big for those guys. And is there a size of um, company that you need to work with from a minimum spend, not min yeah, minimum spend or effectiveness point of view? No, there's not, but there's different aspects of which of our services and our platforms that are more relevant to the different size businesses. So, you know, we talk or I talk perhaps uh, about some of some larger businesses being slower in the way that they work, but we've been working with guys like TUI, for example, mm -hmm. who just migrated over all of their travel affiliate program onto Impact. 
and that is a big um, legacy brand with a lot of you know uh, outstanding and, and long-standing relationships mm-hmm. um, but we had to we put in a load of automation in that to make it smooth so to bring some of the technology into how we pivot them we built some really great reporting that helps them see the seesaw of where their old partners are and who's migrating and who hasn't um, and to be able to build a load of automated emails to go out to existing partners saying hey we've noticed you've moved here we noticed you haven't moved all of your links or whatever else so there's a, a brilliant value add for them and then they've totally taken control of their own affiliate platform um, and program because they know it so well they can build individual relationships with all of those affiliates but we work similarly with loads of smaller businesses but what will often uh, the scenario we might work with them is they'll use an agency in conjunction with impact and there are a lot of specialist smd agencies out there mm. that um that offer that whole package of like hey let's take all of partnership marketing off your hands you're a busy person maybe you're only one person in the entire marketing team we can we can make that all happen for you just let us run with it with what you do uh working with d2c businesses who are, who are nimble or expanding um Partnerships must play a really big role in that in that sort of economy. What well, what have you seen over the last month? I mean, are there any trends around? Um, so broad question, but the role of kind of partnership marketing in driving growth in um, in kind of with with DTC businesses, and then any interesting kind of sector quirks that you've really noticed over the last um, twelve months or so. Yeah, I mean, look, DTC is definitely um, in boom time from what I see as well. Not just um, in looking at the impact data, but even just looking around my block, uh, block of flats, it's a, an interesting side effect, right? Of you know, I notice that I get a HelloFresh delivery now, which I didn't use to. Yeah. Box for a bit, but then I go downstairs to pick up my delivery, and I oh, someone else in my block, uh, block has got a load of beers delivered. I'm <laughs> look at these guys, and then someone else is getting something else, and so. There's um, it's different, I'm sure, if you live in a detached house somewhere, but for people that live in blocks of flats and are getting their deliveries to a central point, there's a, a, you know, a brand new marketing point there of having boxed up deliveries as a, uh, an advertising piece. But yeah, in terms of partnerships, um, what we found with them is they, um, the knowledge of the products uh, are great, and they mm-hmm. work really well with, uh, you know, cl- forming closer partnerships, which perhaps are more content driven and really sell the value of the products that they're doing. So it's not necessarily all about uh, discounting or price comparison. There's a lot more nuance around explaining the value add of that particular uh, service and, and why it works well. Um, also, I guess what we found is the uh, lifetime values really key to look at that stuff as well. And using some of our own reporting for that is great. But you know, it's it's not necessarily easy per se to pull people in, but it's a lot easier to pull people in with an offer, but it's critical how you convert from that free trial into a regular paid for user and how long that lasts. Was it a novelty over the course of the summer or is it something that you're going to do in perpetuity even after a, lockdown restrictions end and when it comes to campaign effectiveness is it do you notice trends across like mobile or um, desktop in app what 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 sort of trends do you see from where where effectiveness is at its greatest 
Yeah, it's an interesting point. I guess, like so many other areas, we see growth and growth in in app, and we mm. developed technologies around that. So one of the things that Impacts um, built, which is really useful, is um, this tool that we call TrueLink, and yeah. it does a, a couple of different things. But one of the most challenging ones is when you're uh, a user browsing. We want ideal scenario. We want to link from one app to another app because that's where you see the best conversion rates. That's where you see uh, higher spend. Um, but you don't know as a, a, a publisher or a media partner if that person necessarily has the app installed. And so we've created TrueLink to do dynamic linking, right? That, that looks up and pings, right? Do they have the app? If they do have the app, can I uh, link to the relevant page within that yeah. app? If they don't have it, let's point them to either a place to download the app, if that's the preference, or mm -hmm. to the uh, corresponding place in mobile web. And so understanding the uh, user journey and the nuances of that has become really, uh, really critical as, you know, it becomes a more convoluted uh, app and app grows and grows, um, apps on the up. But there's a lot of people still that don't have the app or might have deleted the app in a relevant place. So knowing what to do at the right time is... It's fundamental for us. Yeah, absolutely. And to just just briefly, sort of a top of my head um, thought, and it might be a bit off topic. We we've seen the influencer sector um, grow and grow over the past twelve months. Again, a sort of a, a, an accelerated trend, as well as things like you know, in-game CTV. There's been some um, sectors that we've all, all all seen really really perform. Um, what similarities are there between influencer marketing and the sorts of brand partnerships that impact these? So I guess it's got that kind of um, recommendation feel to, 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 to both, um, yeah, to sort of both sectors. Yes, so we definitely think of influencer marketing as a subset of uh, yeah. marketing, right? And so yeah, that makes sense to me. We think of as like the umbrella term, and within that you have things like affiliates, you have brand-to-brand -brand partnerships, you have influencer, you have technology and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And definitely it fits well within that bucket because of what you described about um, what we discussed earlier on, saying that it's a form of marketing where it's consumer driven. It's not in your face advertising that's pushing you to do something. It's yeah. going to a longer lasting relationship where it's a trusted source and there's a, a recommendation coming off the back of it. Hey, I'm using this product and, and this is the reason why I'm using it and why I feel it's beneficial. And we definitely feel it's fundamental for influencers to also be able to say no and to only work with brands where there's a good brand fit. But there's been, um, forgive me to, to carry on, but there's been such a boom over the last uh, year in terms of uh, more and more micro-influencers coming to the fore. As Absolutely. You spend more time on social media, you're getting deeper and deeper. And it's, of course, deeper into TikTok. I think we all know that that's a, a massive growing trend. Uh, around the world, but on all different platforms, understanding like the, um, the the niche that's coming out and the value of that. And so what's really challenging we found for our clients previously is saying, well, great that there are all of these micro influencers who are super relevant, but how do I make that return valuable for me? Because setting up a relationship with a super influencer takes a bit of time, but your mm -hmm. reach is enormous off the back of it. So you can see what you're doing. Whereas if you're only going to get to speak to 10,000 people here, 5,000 people there, then you need to have the numbers 
to be able to bring that scale. And that's where the, the automation piece is fundamental. So that, you know, you can automate your outreach to people. The impact lets you uh, search by hashtag and stuff like that and say, right, these guys look like relevant. You can look at the proportion of fake followers as well, sadly. Fraud right, in all different areas and influence marketing is a, you know, it's no different in that. So you need to be able to look at those metrics and see, you know, what's the the truth behind it. So through your platform, an advertiser can access influencers. Could could they cultivate relationships with influencers through the platform? Yeah, exactly. That's the right that's the entire plan. And so, at Impact, what we try and talk about is the the partnership life cycle, and that yeah. starts with like basically finding new partners so you've got to identify them and you've got to be able to go out and search for them in different places then you've got to bring them on board and communicate with them say hey these are the commercials that I want to work with do they work for you go about that process get some tracking set up and then you move into some optimization and commission mm -hmm. like that so the, the identifying and the initial outreach is um is really fundamental and it's interesting you talked about some of my um the longevity of my experience in this industry and one of the things that i've always found in the past that it, we all know is important is finding new partnerships but it's so time consuming it always gets pushed down the priority list so being able to do it effectively at scale has been a real uh, revelation for us well scale is a key and if i think if i speak to most businesses and say you know where do your best um relationships come from whether it's an no, and, and, uh, or where's your best business come from? Whether it's you know an individual salesperson or um, you know a company at large. And if we think about our personal lives as, as consumers, um, recommendation is always always um, the the holy grail. Yet getting good trusted recommendations is is difficult because there needs to be you know a really strong element of trust to make recommendations valuable. So yeah, I really get that if you when you can achieve that at scale, how how valuable that must. Um, must must be for you know strong brand partnerships has there been any spikes we've, we've spoken about influencer marketing from a from a customer demand point of view over um i guess trends in general and particularly during the covid period or, or actually just focusing on the covid period it's hard to ignore it um yeah any, any interesting trends or changes in consumer behavior that that that, that your clients have focused on or you've been able to yeah identify I think a lot of the ones you uh, might expect, obviously, a lot of people um, spending a lot of time at home has made shifts there. So HelloFresh, um, we did a really interesting podcast with um, last summer talking about some of the learnings they've had from lockdown phase one. And um, they, they're basically their demand went through the roof. They couldn't satisfy it. And that was a a major problem for them right and so they had to say well we don't want to continue advertising and promoting our products if we can't actually fulfill the demand on there and so we need to get our supply chain sorted and so there's a lot to um to learn from that around how you communicate then off the back of um when you shut down because you can't mm -hmm. fulfill demand and when you, you can't fulfill, yeah but yeah so you know obviously we've talked already about home delivery and cooking um we've seen uh, TV streaming absolutely take off and, and go through the roof on that front and different trends on a um, on a retail side in terms of uh, selling a lot of uh, home office equipment initially and then moving yeah. to uh, gym uh, equipment and then maybe a bit of loungewear and you know sadly obviously guys like events and travel have uh, 
have really taken a beating during this time and hopefully yeah. that, that will pick up shortly. What do you think will come for the large retailers? Um, how do they how do they survive over the next over the next few years? Yeah, look, I, I think it's going to mean an acceleration of an existing trend, which is basically the the decline of the high street and the focus on digital. I mean, I'm, you know, you were talking about some of your historic experiences in a previous life. I worked a lot with guys like Argos or with uh, with Debenhams, and those um, those guys have got to rapidly focus on their digital offering. Perhaps too late for Debenhams now, sadly, but it's easy to get caught with uh, you know really high rents in the center of town when really it really is people you know were, were less and less keen to do that in the first place and you know direct consumer and home delivery was already taking off in a big way prior to covid and this is only accelerating that so mm. retail has to pivot and pivot hard to digital but it has to take on board some of those lessons from younger digital companies as well about how to break down silos, how to be quicker at pace in terms of creating change and how to respond to stuff. So, uh, you know, we, um, we've been working with John Lewis who are just moving their business over to us at the moment. And they have a, a real appetite to be able to embrace a digital future and to be able to pivot and work quickly and you know it's fantastic to see some um, some older and you know fantastic heritage brands like that really embrace what a digital future looks like um, if you were giving advice to advertisers about partnerships what would you say they should really zone in on to have effective affiliate partnerships um i guess within affiliate and i'm wider set of partnership marketing the, the fundamentals as I see them are to be able to create a, a close and effective relationship where you communicate the two-way two communication as much as possible. So scale is fundamental and being able to do stuff in a large way is vital. But part of the reason why we talk so much about automation is to free up people's time to create more communication on, on getting the fundamentals set up. Don't do a load of legwork going out and saying, oh, I've identified these 1000 influencers that I want to work with. Now I'm gonna go on to Instagram and message them one by one. Get all of that nonsense you know, out of the way in the setup of a campaign in five minutes, and that can run in perpetuity. And that gives you more time for communicating about what your aims are as a business, what your collaborative way of achieving those aims are and to understand how that evolves over time as well and that, that, that leads me on to um the next 12 months 24 months what do you think will be big in in in, in kind of brand partnerships and partnership marketing oh yeah i guess it's the million dollar question in some sense is how do we come out of lockdown around the world um I think there'll be different attitudes perhaps across different countries, especially yeah. cultural attitudes as well as just the pace of, of vaccination. And I definitely think you'll see a um, uh, an ongoing effect from having had so many people work at home in terms of attitudes towards buying anything, but also cultural work attitudes and the nature of, of partnerships as well. But like we were alluding to before, I just think 
that the ultimate trend will be a, a harder push towards digital for everything, but mm -hmm. celebrating the the in person where where you can make it happen and that being a genuine celebration of seeing each other whether it be family or people or as you say if you're going shopping making that really fun and worthwhile rather than having to go to the store because you're you know desperate to go and buy some new clothes or whatever else yeah this is it this is it and um if it's okay i'd love to just hear your experiences of, of, of the last nine months so i'm fascinated to what, what companies have done well and i i truly believe that um you know, in, in tough times, um, we learn how to improve um, personally, collectively, you know, I hope, you know, and at a societal level as well. What, 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 what have been the bits that you think yourself or the team or impact have done, have done well to create engagement internally and to make this experience a good one for, for, for the team? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously it's, um, it's challenging circumstances for, for some people and certainly for, uh, for some more than others if you're a parent for example and you're trying to combine that with your your work life or yes we also found that perhaps for some of our younger members of the team uh you know i'm lucky enough to live in a, a flat with my partner and it's just the two of us and we we can have her in the office and me in the living room uh, but if you're you know five people crammed into one room and you just have to work in your bedroom day in day out then you know that's pretty tough on your your mental health as well it so is. impacts made a real effort for for those places where it's safe to have offices open to reopen those to people who are in tough situations at home and want to be able to, to get out of there and improve their mental well-being in a couple of places in the states and in in apac as well and then um dave um our CEO has been fantastic as well. Just being a, a genuine people orientated company impacts uh, like a really fantastic size at the moment of having, you know, 500 or so different employees, but still as a, a private business feeling quite small and like we're in control of our own destiny. It's so, a benefit being a private company, isn't it? You are. <laughs> exactly. And so when we say, hey, this is tough, you know, he went out there and he said, look, you know, I don't want you to feel bad if your kids run in on a Zoom call. I want you to go out and say to the person that you're on a call with, you know, oh, who's your daughter? Come and say hello to me. You know, like genuinely make it feel inclusive and like a positive experience rather than making people feel like they need to shepherd their kids Shut out. Shut life away, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, because we all recognise the circumstances that we're in. You know, it's important to be able to embrace it rather than to try and pretend that, you know, professionality in inverted commas is the most important thing. Yeah, that's been that's been one of the things which I think has been great, um, that ability to, um, yeah, just just have have um, different dialogue as companies in, in, internally and, and externally with clients. And we, we, we found actually that um, it's been so effective to have meetings because you don't have to kind of, go to this i can actually hear kids outside now i'm hoping they run in um, <laughs> um good timing literally <laughs> the door is moving um so um we found it so effective for having meetings and catching up with people and sticking to agendas and actually sharing screens there's been some really some really some really cool things that i think will will, will stick um in in in, in kind of the, the, the world as we as, as, as we move forward and we get get um the best of the best of both worlds and in, in your in your kind of um role looking at the marketing of impact what, what what's your plan looking like this year 
versus a usual year when it comes to how you yeah how you market the business yeah so um some look some practically enforced pivots we um we do a big uh, in-person event every summer impact growth and our, our plan with clients or as an internal yeah, with, with clients, clients with media partners with agencies yeah. um normally in, in new york and we're doing that as a, a purely virtual event because we, mm-hmm. we don't have the trust at the moment that things will be back to normal by then, which I, I think is the right call. And even yes. if people are able to travel, we don't want to put an impetus on people to feel like they're, they're forced to travel. An expectation, yeah, that makes total yeah. sense. It, exactly. We don't want that to weigh on their shoulders. And we see um, even in the external events that we'll be attending, first half of the year seems still purely digital, second half of the year people are planning hybrid so that they can flex one way or the other, depending on how how stuff works out. So a bit of virtual, a bit of in-person in a, a socially distanced way. And how, effect- how effective have you found virtual events? Yeah, really good for creating a lot in the way of inbound volume. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot easier to get someone to join a webinar or a virtual conference or even virtual drinks than it is to get someone to to come to you in person just because it's a low barrier to entry yeah we then have to focus on is our our follow-up after those because you don't have the same type of quality engagement to build an interpersonal relationship there so we have to hammer down the doors a little bit more afterwards to be able to say right well hey let's have a one-to-one phone call and discuss that and we've tried to to do that in some really empathetic ways as well. Like we have a um, uh, an e-gifting campaign that we run because we used to run direct mail to people's yeah. offices because it stood out a bit, like because everything is so virtual now. Getting a little message to your office. like love receiving things in the post. Yeah, we, yeah I think it's, it's brilliant to receive post. Exactly. And it just had little bits and bobs in it that helped related to some myth busting and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then we said, right, well, how do we do that in a, a virtual sense? It seems superimposing to just send marketing stuff to people's home addresses if you do have those. And for most people, we don't have their home addresses anyway. So it's a sensitive question to ask, isn't it? We had this debate before Christmas about who do we ask for their personal address. And it's a, it's a tricky one, especially at the scale I'm sure you want to market as a tough, tough thing to do. Exactly. So what we did was some e-gifting instead. Um, mm-hmm. So we said, like, hey, here's a, a voucher for, for something, go and use it. And we did it for things like, um, look, we can't take you out for a dinner uh, to you know, have a meeting over. So here's an Uber Eats voucher. You know, why don't you buy yourself a little takeaway and let's have a half hour call whilst you're eating it. Or um, we tried to, to understand people's scenarios as well. So we did some stuff with Amazon vouchers and uh, Ikea vouchers saying, hey, is it really tough at home at the moment? Why not use this to buy something for the kids to keep them entertained for 15 minutes? And, you know, in that time that you get back, why not you know, use some of that to evaluate if you're doing the right things in partnerships at the moment? Um, how, how much do you think will stick from what you've adapted to? Yeah, well, look, I definitely think uh, attitudes towards working at home, we're traveling in this direction of being more accepting of that anyway and having more yes. of the people that you work with. I think certainly in our you know, digital industry, you know, it's not 
essential that's what we found to to have to be together in an office space but there's definitely still value in it but so i think we'll definitely see a continued trend of more working from home and as that happens and there's confusion or less separation over those spaces you'll see an adaptation of what's acceptable to market to those people so you know when i first got a mobile phone getting adverts to my mobile phone was a um you know a really invasive thing and it still is it's intrusive I mean, yeah in in certain things like um you know if you're sending me cold uh, text messages then i really think where have you got my number from mate <laughs> but getting ads on my phone in terms of websites that i visit or apps that i'm in like i 100% expect that and ditto with uh, with social it's the beauty of brand partnerships it's always relevant because that's the key isn't it with 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 advertising and um it, if something feels relevant then it, it 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 it's not such a kind of a there's not that sort of reaction to it which is a bit what's this as soon as you get the relevance right it kind of fits it fits in exactly and you you know your home is less of a, a sacred space or maybe it wasn't for a lot of people in the past but certainly for some of us there is still an attitude of work is uh, what i do at the office home is where i relax and that's been evolving for a long time with you know introductions of laptops and uh, and everyone having work email on their phone or I, I don't know if you're you know remember your first blackberry or something like that i do i loved it I had, really wean, I had to really wean, my, wean myself off it exactly that never went through that experience right and they've just all as long as they've been working they've known the ability to to work off their phone yeah i i, I think that um Balance is really important. I think actually opening up the offices is a, is, is a really good thing to do. Um, one, one of the things that we, we said throughout the pandemic is we kind of um, naturally there's things which are not the right way to behave, but we said we shouldn't um, kind of judge one another based on what works for them. So we, we did, we opened up the office in a safe way. We had loads of space and very few people wanted to attend, but it was all about whether people wanted to be at home or in the office, providing people with what works best for them, and I think that's the that's 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 the real route forward. It's um, it's giving people the environment they need um, to produce their best work and to have the best balance. And life changes. Like there's periods where you really want to be in the office, and there's periods where it's less convenient. I mean, keeping it really simple, I think new to work and living in a capital city, um, you want to go and make make great friends, and the learning experience is. Um, is 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 is, is um you know is, is brilliant being around and watching other people similarly as life moves on um there are other things that that, that, that kind of need 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 lots of attention to be that kids or or, or, or other interests so yeah I, th I think i think the balance between being at home and at work is going to be so 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 good in the long run for people's well well-being and, and and ultimately um employees people will decide what what works for them and find the business that that provides that so they're just accelerated trends. And um, anything you are particularly looking forward to when when uh, when the world is back to normal? Well, yeah, I was supposed to be getting married in March, but um, oh, okay. in South Africa, we've had to postpone that. So as soon as we're able to uh, to get out of the country again, I'm looking forward to uh, to finishing that off. Tying the knot. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. It's in for uh, November the 27th now. So. Well, yeah. Let's hope. Then and have a big old sulk. Yeah, pro, yeah, I know progress made. I'm, I'm very mindful of, of, of what I say now because I think in, in, in March, I think I, I knew it was going to be a tough period for, for more than for more than a quarter. But it's been, um, yeah, I think it's been um, 
unexpected at most turns for people. But there, there really is light at the end of the tunnel. And what, what I'd certainly say from a, um, from a, from a purely a business point of view, um, it's been amazing to see how companies and people have adapted and the, 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 the confidence in business has really returned. We've had a, a, an exceptionally busy start to the year as businesses start to see beyond 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 the here and now and then there's because you guys have hired quite a lot throughout haven't you from my from my understanding yeah we really have and that's um that's partially because we're in a growth phase anyway yes. and, you know there's just so many markets where there's potential for impact to expand into both geographically and in terms of uh, you know different uh, marketing markets but what we've also seen is it's a um you know performance related stuff has done relatively well over this period and you never want to to shout too well too much about that when some people are, are struggling but yes. advertising spend has been pulled back in a, a lot of ways if you look at walk reports or whatever else um whereas uh spend when there's a guaranteed return to it you know is mm -hmm. a real safe haven and that's why you can understand why why people continue their investment there and you know that's that's been great for us and we've been able to continue our expansion plans and you know it's um i think we've also seen a bit of a shift maybe tail end of last year as well of people moving on from saying well i'm happy to just have a job and not be furloughed or made redundant to well if this is going to go on for over a year I, i'm not going to put my career plans on hold i still have aspirations of personal development and growth and i want to make that happen for myself Great stuff. Well, I'm, I'm mindful of, of, of time. Um, it's been amazing um, chatting to you. And thank you. Thank you so much um, for sharing. I, I truly appreciate it. This is actually the first podcast I've done. And the thing that I've learned most from today, aside from um, um, the amazing insights, I need to find a room and a space with better lighting. <laughs> so my apologies for you having to speak to a, a floaty talking head that you can probably barely see. My, my sincerest apologies for that. Well, it's when the sunlight fades so rapidly during winter time. You don't. You can be in beautiful sunlight, and then uh, forty-five minutes later, it's dark all around you. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate. It. And if if people want to to to, to reach you, and how, how can people get in touch with you and the Impact team? Yeah. Or well, look. So impact.com is our our website, and that's where you'll find a lot of the um, the different things that I've spoken about, either the case studies when we mentioned. TUI or Ticketmaster and Spotify or Starling Bank and Revolut, you can find all of those on there. Or you can uh, reach out to me personally on owen.hancock at impact.com. A big thank you to Owen and a round of applause for Ed's first episode. Links to Owen and Impact will be in the show notes or can be found via our website. Join us next month for another episode of Life in Digital.